Hey, you're listening to the Quarry Podcast. Get ready to be encouraged and uplifted with us today. I want to talk to you tonight about another really honest topic. Do you guys like honest topics? I do. I really like when someone will stand in front of me and be transparent about something. So this message is going to tie in with everything we've been talking about for a few months, and it's called How to Thrive Instead of Survive. How to Thrive Instead of Survive. And PJ said this the other day on a Sunday, so I just ripped this right off of him. How to Thrive Instead of Survive. And so I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but Starting during COVID, you know, every day started to feel like the same, right? Literally, sometimes the same pair of sweats for like a few days, um, kind of the same schedule every day, the same TV shows. Ev was still living with me at the time, and so we would even not watch the same movies, but like the same series. We watched every Star Wars movie ever made, so that's like 12 movies or something. So it was like every night is a Star Wars night for two weeks, and then we move on to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So every night is a Lord of the Rings night for a week. Literally, it was like the Twilight Zone. No one knew what was going on. Every time I FaceTimed my friends, they looked homeless. I looked homeless. We were all looking rough because every day was like the same, right? That was so bizarre because we had never experienced that before. Every day being the same, kind of waking up without purpose. I was still working during that time, so I was working from home. But I cannot imagine those of you who were literally like home and like you have two hours of school and then you just have the whole day or whatever. Or my friends who were out of school, but they were not working. So it was literally just home all day, every day. It was so bizarre. But I don't know if you guys experienced this. Honestly, since then, I have still had some just recurring feelings of like every day is the same and it's passing me by and I don't even know what's happening. Like if you really asked me what happened in my life last week, I don't know. What happened in my life last month? I don't know. What did I do Monday night? I don't know. Like, do you guys feel like that at all? Some of that same sense of just repetitiveness of the days are going by, but I can't differentiate between them and I just wait for the weekend because then I'm off work, but then the weekend flies by and I go back to work on Monday and we just start all over again and my life is going by without really anything happening every day that matters. I don't know if you guys feel like this, but I've struggled to feel like this. And even especially after camp this year, I'm just talking in the last few months, me being like, okay, like three weeks went by and I can barely tell you one thing that happened. Like this is getting a little alarming. Like a whole month has gone by and I don't know, it just felt like one huge nap. Like I I don't know what's happening. I have struggled with this and it's kind of just a dissatisfaction of saying like, Okay, I know that my day-to-day life needs to be more than this, so what am I missing? I know enough to know that this isn't all there is, but I didn't know exactly what I was doing wrong that was making me feel a little bit like that. Like, is this all there is? Like, I know that's not the truth, but that's kind of the feeling I have. Every day is the same grind. Every day is kind of stressful. Every day I'm pretty tired. Every day I'm just making it to the end of the workday and then making it to bed and getting up the next day. And when I started talking to God about this, he answered me with a question. And so this night is going to actually be a series of questions. But what he started by saying was, you know, you're not living in sin, but are you really living in faith? The next thing he said was, you're living like you love me, but are you really living in faith? You're living like you know me, but are you really living in faith? Because all of these things are true. 
I don't have some kind of secret sin I was hiding that was tripping me up. I wasn't, you know, getting off in major areas. You know, to my knowledge, I was making right choices and doing my best. Um, you know, I love God. My relationship with him is the best it's ever been. So I do live life like I love God because I really do. I live life with just an acknowledgement for him and a reverence of him and with a relationship with him. But he said, yeah, all that is true, but are you living by faith. And so I want tonight's message to be really introspective. If you'll just look inside yourself like I did, like I said, this is going to be a series of questions that God walked me through when I was just saying, okay, my day-to-day life feels pretty meaningless. And I don't like that feeling. And I know there's more, but I'm not sure where I'm missing it. And God responded with these questions. Are you living by faith? Because God doesn't want us to live frustrated or mundane. There's a better way to live. He tells us in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works so that we would walk in them. And listen to this. God says, I want you to live the good life that you made ready for us. Live the good life. I was in a place, and I'm. this is like very current. I told you from camp till now, this is the last three to four months of my life, feeling like I don't really like my life that much, but nothing is really wrong. And I'm doing everything I know to do that's right, but why don't I like it? Why is every day still feeling like a drag? Why do I feel like I am just surviving? I'm not really thriving. It's just a grind. And I know there is a good life. God says, I prepared a good life for you to live. So I want to live that good life every single day. I don't want my days just to fly by and be meaningless. And I don't want weeks to turn into months, to turn into years where I'm looking and saying, like, did anything significant happen, like, between me and God today? Like, we're good, But like, was my life changed? Was anyone's life changed? Why do I feel this just kind of humdrum, ho-hum feeling about it? There's a better way to live. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So the first question I want you to ask yourself, you don't have to answer out loud, but I'm asking myself this, and I want you to ask yourself this. Are you living like you really need God? And... Hear me out on this, because if you had asked me this, I would have been like, absolutely, I need God. I'm a dumpster fire. Yes, I need God. But God showed me, you know, I need you to really live like you need me. And here's a couple illustrations he gave me. This actually came out of a hymn. You guys have probably never heard this song, but you can look it up on YouTube. There's a very old hymn that's called, I Need Thee. And the lyrics, that's how this this question came out of this. God brought this song to me. Their lyrics say, I need thee, Lord, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. And I thought, like, okay, like, where's this song coming from? Like, I haven't heard this since third grade. I went to a private school, and we were required to memorize hymns, so I sort of know a lot of hymns. But I haven't listened to this song in years. Where's this coming from? And when I was thinking about it, you know, a lot of hymns are really born out of desperation. You read the stories about the people who wrote the hymns. Some of them were martyrs. Some of them were beheaded. They have these dramatic stories. So you're thinking this song, I need thee, Lord, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. I'm like, who wrote these words? Those are pretty moving words. Those are pretty passionate words. Well, guess what? It was a lady named Annie Hawks. She wrote it in 1872, and she was a simple housewife, period. That's the story. She wasn't a martyr. There was no threat on her life. Um, She did have children. I've heard that that is stressful and hard, so maybe she was like, Lord, I need thee every hour. (laughs) It's not a joke. I don't know. But she was a housewife, and so... 
these lyrics she said rose up in her spirit one day. She couldn't get them out of her head, and she went to her pastor, um, who was actually the guy who wrote uh, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus and some other like really famous hymns. So this church must have been like the Hillsong of hymns because like a lot of bangers came out of this place. It was interesting. But her pastor was a songwriter, so she took these lyrics to him, and they developed the whole song. But I thought, wow, like what was this lady onto that she was just a simple housewife with a normal life, but had a conviction to say, God, I need you every hour. Like every hour, this isn't a part-time thing. This isn't just when things feel hard. This isn't just when I'm in a tight space. No, God, I need you every hour. And so God was saying, are you living like you need me every hour? And we see in the Bible some examples of people who really needed God every hour. So in Exodus 16, the Israelites who had been the slaves in Egypt, they were set free. They're out in the desert and they have no food, right? There's nothing to hunt in the desert. God literally provided for them their food. It fell out of the sky, out of heaven every single day, food to eat, right? They needed God every single day. And that's kind of hard for me and you to relate to because we've been blessed to be in situations where food is pretty easy to come by, right? Most of us don't have to worry about where we're sleeping at night, don't have to worry about what we're going to eat. So it can be very easy for it to seem like we don't really need God to get by and to survive. And God also brought to my memory this guy called George Mueller. And so I looked up his story, and you may be familiar with him because there's a VeggieTale short about him, <laughs> but I'll give you the brief version. So George Mueller was a terrible student. He got in trouble at school all the time. Um, he went out drinking and got in trouble all the time, and he would attend Bible studies with the sole purpose of making fun of people there. He would go just so he could make fun of others. Well, he goes to a Bible study one day, and actually like listens and is moved for the first time. And he went home and he got on his knees and he prayed and he said, God, I'm so sorry. Like I need you. So his first decision he's done with high school is that he needs to go to college to be a missionary. Okay. All his family said, don't do that bad idea, but he was going to do it anyway. And he didn't have the money. So the story goes that he prayed and he said, God, like, I want to do this. I need to be a missionary, but I don't have the money. And right after he prayed that prayer, there was a knock on his door. And one of the college professors was at the door to offer him a paid teaching position or tutoring position so that he could attend the university. So this guy's Christian walk really gets kind of kicked off with a miracle like that. But what we see later in his life is that this was also in the 1800s. And at those times, if children were orphans, they were often homeless, right? There wasn't a adoption agencies, there wasn't CASA, there wasn't Child's Place, there wasn't resources to help these kids. So they would literally be just roaming the streets fending for themselves. And God put it on his heart to open orphanages and homes to host these children until they were 18 and could support themselves. So he saw miracle after miracle. It says that he housed over like 2,000 orphans. He built all the homes for them. He fed them all their meals. He paid for all their clothing in school. And he did it all debt-free the whole time. And get this, the only thing he ever did was prayed. He only prayed. There wasn't fundraising campaigns. Nobody was giving him money specifically. He didn't have money. He literally just prayed. God put it on people's hearts to give. And there was one account that said he woke up in the orphanage one morning and there was no food. Like not just a little food, but no food. So he sits down at the breakfast table with all the orphans and everyone who lives in the house. And he says, let's pray. 
They pray, and as soon as they're done praying, there's a knock at the door, and there's a baker that says, hey, God woke me up in the early morning. I couldn't go to sleep. He told me you were going to need some bread today, so here's a bunch of bread. And a few minutes later, there's a knock at the door, and it's a milkman showing up with milk. And there's literally story after story after story like this in this guy's life where he sat down, he didn't have what he needed, he prayed, and God showed up. It's amazing. But we can look at these stories and find it hard to relate because they, the Israelites and George Mueller, they were literally depending on God for meals. That'd be like me waking up tomorrow morning in an empty house and having to pray about where breakfast is going to come from. I wouldn't even have to. We have tons of snacks at work. Like I have food surrounding me in my life, too much of it. You know, so sometimes it can be a little hard to connect. It's easy to see how these people needed God but we need to sometimes remind ourselves that we too need God because I'm living like I love him, but I'm not living like I need him. I'm living like I appreciate him, but I'm not living with stirring up a real hunger and a need for him. And I want to point out that these people experience miracles daily because they needed God and he was their only option. But listen to me for a minute. You need miracles daily too. And so do I. We've got to remind ourselves, listen, I have miracles every day, or excuse me, I have needs every day. But I believe the reason I'm not seeing miracles every day is because I'm allowing my needs to be met outside of God. We wake up every single day with needs. Food might not really be a need for me, but mental health is. And, you know, milk and bread might not really be something I'm struggling for every day, but peace can be, or security, or finances for what I need to do. You wake up every single day, just like George Mueller and just like the Israelites, with a need in your life, but we are not seeing miracles because we found other ways to fill that need instead of stepping back and letting God take care of it. Something that George Mueller demonstrated that is so amazing is that when he woke up and there was no food, he didn't try to go find some. That's what I would have been doing. I would have got it before all the kids that day and I would have been knocking on doors and I would have been trying to come up with some food. But what did he do? Instead of trying to solve it on his own, he sat down and he prayed and he said, God, I'm going to let you handle this. What happened next? A miracle. When we stop ourselves from trying to scramble to meet our needs, we can stop and say, okay, God, how do you want to take care of this? But the first thing is to really recognize, hey, we have a need every single day. And I think that we fix this just by starting to turn our heart towards God in prayer. You know what I've been doing? I've been going to God in the mornings and I've been saying, God, I know I have you already. I know you live inside of me, but I want you to know that I need you. And I'm not trying to do this day without you. And I'm not trying to fill my needs with other things that you really want to move and bring to me. And I'm not trying to cut off opportunities for you to bring miracles in my life because today I need you. So I want to say to you, what are needs that you can identify in your life? What do you wake up and have a hard time with every day? That's an opportunity for God to move. That's an opportunity for you to go to him and say, hey, I need you. And he gave me kind of a silly example. He said, listen, <laughs> when you're struggling and you're tired and you're irritable, why don't you stop grabbing a coffee at work and talking to all your coworkers and acting like this coffee is just really going to get you through this afternoon, right? We've all been there like, well, I need this. There's so much of a better option. God said, why don't you add me into that? Drink your coffee, that's fine. But why don't you turn to me in those little moments and say, God, 
Right now, I need your strength and your energy to make it through this afternoon. I need your love to treat my coworker with kindness today. I need your peace to make it through this. Do you see what I'm saying? We use cheap Band-Aids when there's like a real solution for some of these needs. And that's a silly example, but that's also how practical God is. I'm not kidding. God told me that. He said, when you sit down at work and you are tired in the afternoon, stop telling your coworkers like, oh, I'm going to go get this to wake me up. Stop and pray. Like, stop acting like coffee's going to rescue you. It's just not. And again, I know that sounds silly, but God is practical in those little things. Those are the needs we can see him meet every day. So I want to encourage you to live life in a way that says, God, I need you every hour. I need you, not just sometimes, but every minute of this day. And when we identify and create those needs for him, we will see him fill them in ways that I believe are miraculous. George Mueller was not anybody special other than being a man of prayer who turned to God when he needed something. And I can turn to God when I need something too. Another question God asked me, the second one we're going to talk about tonight. He said, are you trying to do things apart from me? So I'm asking you tonight, are you trying to do things apart from God? Are you living like you really need God? But are you trying to do things apart from God? And Jesus tells us this in John 15, 5 NLT. Shelps preached from this, and I've been thinking about it ever since. It was so good. He says this. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Here's the kicker. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's an intense phrase. Because frankly, I don't always live like, like I believe that. I live life like I can't do everything. But I don't really rely on God like I can do nothing without him. Because my own pride, my own brain, my own flesh says, there's some things that I can do. You know, there's some things I can do. But he takes it a step further in John 5, 19. Jesus says this. This is the son of God. Jesus says, I speak to you this timeless truth. The son is not able to do anything from himself or through his own initiative. I only do the works that I see my father doing, for the son does the same works as his father. If Jesus can stand there and say, without my father, I can do nothing, then I also need to stand here and say, without my father, I can do nothing. And listen, this is a very hard realization for you and I to come to because we live in Western culture that says you can do it right? You can do it. How many times have I said that to people? How many times have I hyped myself up that way? It's fine. I can do this. I got this. I got this. No, I don't. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't like to admit that. You're not raised to say that. Your teachers don't tell you to say that. Our culture doesn't tell you to say that. I read a really interesting study when I was preparing for this that said 94% of American professors claimed that they were better than average. 94%. I was in college for five years. Do you know how much percentage of my professors I would say were better than average? Not 94%, people. Not 94%. In addition, this same study, which was 70% Americans from the United States of America, <laughs> concluded that we are severely prone to overestimating ourselves. It's cultural. Other, other countries don't struggle with this the way that we do if we've grown up here. We overestimate ourselves chronically. Because that's what we've been raised to do. You can do it. You got this. You got it. Just try. Just work. Just put the hours in. You can do it. You got it. 
Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's why we are sometimes embarrassed to raise our hand and say, hey, I'm not doing so great. <laughs> hey, I'm having a really hard time with this. Hey, I, I really can't do this, right? Nobody wants to raise their hand at school and say, I don't understand or I can't do this problem. It's embarrassing, right? Well, that's because our culture has taught us to say, you can do it. Well, Jesus is saying, no, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus is very clear about that. And the conclusion then is if if I'm trying to do things without him, I will be frustrated and exhausted. That's how I was feeling the last few months, exhausted for pretty much no reason, getting plenty of sleep, but still exhausted. Nothing wild going on in my life, still exhausted, right? Still frustrated. Well, what was I trying to do? Things apart from God. I was trying to do things in my own strength. And God even showed me, hey, you can use biblical principles and still do things apart from me. Like you can wake up and have a good confession, but if you're still not coming to me and making your requests in prayer, you're doing it without me. You can do wise things like rest and take care of yourself. That's a biblical principle. But if you're still not going to God and asking him for strength and asking him for answers, you're still trying to do it apart from him. You're taking biblical principles and doing it apart from God. It's possible. It's weird. God had to show me this. What am I trying to do without him? And to take this thought a step further, we could say this. You know, Jesus said he only did what God showed him to do. So not only sometimes are we trying to do things without God, but we are trying to do things that God never told us to do. If you're doing things that God didn't tell you to do, you're going to be tired and overextended and possibly to the point that you can't even do what he did tell you to do. I have found myself there where I'm doing so many things that God didn't tell me to do. I'm being ineffective at what he did tell me to do. And I'm exhausted and grouchy and no one is having a good time here. Not me or the people around me. So we can look at it two ways. Are you doing things without God, but are you also doing things he didn't tell you to do? Keith Moore said one of the most tiring things you'll ever do is something you're not supposed to. And you know, it could be sin. Sure, definitely. Sin is exhausting. It's only fun for like a minute. But it could also just be doing too much because we've heard you can do it. Do it all do it all. You can't do it all. You're doing too much. Are you doing things without God or are you doing things that he never told you to do? And I want to say to you, if you're really exhausted all the time, then you might be. Doesn't mean you're doing bad things. Doesn't mean you're doing wrong things, but you might be doing things he never told you to do. And that's why there's not strength for it. The third question and the last one we'll talk about tonight is, are you leaning on your own understanding? And this, the answer to this is found in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 in the New Living. And it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Again, Jesus is very clear here, or this is, you know, um, Solomon in, in Proverbs, but he's being very clear, do not lean on your own understanding. And again, this kind of comes back to how we've been raised and thinking that we can rely on ourselves and that our own thinking is trustworthy. When God is saying, no, trust in me with all your heart, do not trust your own understanding. <laughs> do not. And I'm saying this as much to me as I am to you tonight. I struggle with all three of these things. That's why God brought them to my attention. But George Mueller, who we talked about earlier with the orphanages, he said this, faith doesn't operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible, but faith begins where men's power ends. 
Faith begins where our power ends. And A.W. Tozer said something similar. The reason why many are making little forward progress is because they haven't come to the end of themselves. And I want to say to you that when you're in a place that you don't know what to do and you don't understand how to move forward and you can't make it make sense, you are in a great place because you're in a place where you need a miracle. We don't like that place because it's very uncomfortable. When we find ourselves at the end of our understanding, when we're out of ideas and we don't know what to do, we don't know how to fix things, we don't know how to balance everything it seems like we have on our plate right now, we panic. It's uncomfortable. We start freaking out and trying to figure out what to do. The Bible just called that leaning on your own understanding. When you start to panic and come up with ideas, you are leaning on your own understanding. Instead, George Mueller said, faith begins where our power ends. And you haven't moved forward because you haven't come to the end of yourself. What are both of those quotes saying? Hey, when you get to the point where you don't know what to do, Excellent. Turn and ask God what to do. You can start looking for a miracle because you do not need to lean on your own understanding. He said, don't trust your understanding. Don't trust your ideas. Don't lean on your mind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So we've got to catch ourselves when we're becoming uncomfortable in those situations. God is trying to move. He's actually trying to show out in our lives and show up with our answers. And too many times we block him from doing that because we lean on our understanding. I got to come up with an idea to fix it. I come up with the idea. I do it. It doesn't fix it. I'm still frustrated. And the whole time God was saying, hey, that was my moment to move, man. You were at the end of your understanding. Perfect. This is where faith comes in. This is where I step in. This is where somebody knocks on the door and shows up with that bread you need because you do not need to lean on your own understanding. When you don't know what to do, that's great news. We've all been there. And guess what? You will be there forever. <laughs> I have... That's me at 30, just <laughs> extrapolating the rest of my life, thinking there's going to be a million situations where I don't know what to do because it already happens all the time. Just get used to it. It's fine. Get comfortable in it. You know, because I believe we're missing out on miracles by settling for our own man-made solutions. When we lean on our own understanding, we're settling for our own solutions instead of being able to watch God come through with a miraculous solution, which is so much worth it. Um, you know, like I said about George Mueller, he didn't try to fix the problem. He just prayed and a miracle came. Yeah. That is hard for us to comprehend because it doesn't make sense. When you need something, it doesn't make sense to sit there and do nothing. Yeah. Right? But he sat down and he prayed and his miracle came. And I think we can learn so much from that. And I think one, one reason we struggle to you know, just get rid of our understanding, stop leaning on that, and to really trust God is because we don't truly believe that he loves us so much and wants the very best for us and is willing to do what it takes to get that to us. He doesn't just want it for us, but he's ready to move and do that. And there was a Spanish priest, his name was Ignatius of Loyola. I heard about him on a podcast. I'm not going to act like I found this man on my own, but he made a statement that I really liked. He said this, sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. If I truly believed that what God wanted for me was my deepest success and happiness and peace, 
I would not choose my own understanding over him. So we have to remind ourselves of that truth. When you find yourself in panic mode, trying to come up with something on your own and leaning on your understanding, don't cover up God's moment to move. Don't forget his motive is to move for you and to bless you and to bring you what you need. So just to recap those questions, are you living your life like you really need God? Are you trying to do things apart from him or are you trying to do things he never told you to do? And are you leaning on your own understanding? And in closing here, I'm going to bring up a song I think you guys have never heard, okay? It came out in 1992 and I was born in 1991. Evan was born in 1992. And back then, there were approximately five Christian music artists to listen to. And in my home, that is the only thing that we were able to listen to other than the Beach Boys or something classical. So um, people like Stephen Curtis Chapman, have you ever heard of him? Jennifer Knapp, okay, Third Day, uh, DC Talk, of course, Audio Adrenaline, there was a few more than five, but like not a lot of options, okay? Hillsong had not even really come on the scene yet. I was not super aware of them till I was like 11 or 12. But there was a song that came out in 1992, and I've always loved it. And my family used to make fun of me because I listened to it so loud in my room. And I was listening to it at like age 14, so it was already a very old song. And I hope you go home and listen to it tonight, okay? It's called The Great Adventure by Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> and I have always loved this song. And on the surface, it's a little bizarre. Because the lyrics say, saddle up your horses, we got a trail to blaze. This is a Christian artist. Through the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace, let's follow our leader into the glorious unknown. This is life like no other. Whoa. This is the great adventure. That's the chorus of that song. I love that song. I always have. I always will. And it sounds silly. It's like a bizarre Western-themed Christian song. But at the same time, his point is just that living for God is the greatest adventure. <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like. Like blazing a trail. Saddle up your horses. Like, let's go. This is great. This is really exciting. And so I've always loved that song. And it's because I've always wanted my life to feel like that. Like, I don't want every day to be lame. Like, this is the great adventure. Like, let's go. Living for God should be the funnest thing ever. And, you know, I know that that is the truth. I appreciate the heart behind that corny song because it's such a truth that if we find ourselves just moving through every day and it's all just kind of gray and meaningless, like something isn't right. It's not supposed to be this way. And to end, I have a quote here from Edwin Anderson that says, if you'll agree with the will of God for your life, your life will be amazing. And I believe that with my whole heart. Even though every day hasn't been amazing, I'm so grateful that I can turn to God and he gives me these answers. And he's saying like, hey, there's just some easy, simple things you're doing. That's why your life doesn't feel like that fun right now. But if you can clean it up and you can really live like you need me and you can really do things with me, not apart from me, and you can really like trust in me and not leaning on your own understanding, then your life is really gonna be like the great adventure. And I believe that with my whole heart. Will you guys please listen to that song tonight? Okay, I'll say it one more time in case you need to write it down. The Great Adventure, Stephen Curtis Chapman. All three names, okay? <laughs> listen, I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to me tonight. I was thrilled to be here with you. We will close, and then please come get some candy if you like. Thanks for listening to this message. To learn more about what's happening at The Quarry, check us out on social media. 